Welcome to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. My name is Drew Creaseman. I, of course, am your host, and I've got a guest on today's show. Former Major League pitcher for Houston, Milwaukee, and your Colorado Rockies, Mark Knudsen. Mark is one of the very few Colorado natives who's pitched or played for the Colorado Rockies in any capacity, coming out of North Glen High School and Colorado State University. He also still coaches and uh, does a lot of media content. I see him in the press box all the time. Good friend of mine uh, I've made over the last few years, if I do say so myself. And uh, I really enjoy getting together to talk with Mark. And I felt like he was the perfect person uh, to do so because he has lived through the player-owner battle and he's also covered it as a member of the media. He understands it inside and out. And of course, he has a perspective as a player, but, uh, you know, I think it's an absolutely important and valuable one for everyone to hear. So I can't wait for you to get to hear that, but I do have one caveat just before I get into it. Uh, And I think this mostly goes pretty smoothly, but I do just want to say we had several technical difficulties getting this entire thing together. Had to edit a few times uh, to to make the whole conversation into one thing. So if there are a couple of awkward transitions, I'm just asking that you roll with those because I really do think we got to the, the meat of each one of the issues that we really wanted to talk about here. And so I really appreciate Mark taking the time. I apologize for a couple of potentially awkward transitions in here, uh, but otherwise, you know, we really dive into the details of this whole thing. So, uh, and he does not mince words. So here we go. Let's throw it over to my conversation with Mark Knudsen. All right, Mark, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Excited to dive deep into some of this stuff. Uh, Most baseball fans, I assume, including yourself, not real happy with the state of things. No, it's, so. it's, I, I don't know what word to use. What's the best adjective to use? Sad, dejected, depressed, angry. I don't know, but it's just, it didn't have to happen like this. It shouldn't happen like this. And we're all suffering because of it. Uh, everybody, the owners themselves are, are su- suffering because of it. I, I don't understand their motivation. I don't understand what they're, what they think they're going to gain. Yeah. To, uh, to go from, one form of suffering to a different kind uh, and and take you back in the memory <laughs> machine because you were there, though. I, I went back and double checked it. It was your final year of Major League Baseball was 93. And so the, the big strike came the next year. Yes. What are your most vivid memories when you think back on that time and that relationship between the owners? and players? Well, um, I was involved in the 1990 negotiations. We missed one day. We had a, a one day strike. It was settled. Uh, we got back to work. We ended up having to cut our uh, our uh, all-star break short by a day. And in our case, we had to play in Chicago, uh, get, make up game against the White Sox, fly to Oakland to play the A's, a three-game series. So that we got we got a full season in. Uh, but the acrimony was there. Bud Selig was a leader of the group, but was not – I don't think he was the commissioner yet. Um, he was the leader of the owners. They'd fired Faye Vincent. They'd fired – Bart Giamatti had passed away. Um my, rec- my first recollection of 93, you know, I retired in 93. So when, when it happened in 94, obviously everybody was sad. No one thought it was going to last very long. It did. The owners were really, really trying to put in a salary cap. And I'll defend Bud Selig till the day I die. I think Bud Selig was the best commissioner baseball's ever had. And people will go, whoa, steroid, hey. steroids, steroids. You know, but think about his body of work compared to what we're dealing with now. 
Um, the game had unprecedented growth under Bud Selig. And I know that the, the, what happened in 94, 95 hurt him deeply personally. The man was a, a former season ticket holder, the Seattle or the Milwaukee Braves, bought the Seattle Pilots, moved him to Milwaukee. He was a fan first and a businessman second. And he always wanted to do what was best for the game. We don't have that anymore. We don't have that with this commissioner. These, these owners learned from the previous regime that the team that's lawyered up, and, and in my day, the players were lawyered up. We had Don Fear and Gene Orza. We were lawyered up. The team that was lawyered up was a team that won. And so they went out and got themselves a self-prescribed transactional attorney and Rob Manford to lead things. And, and that's where we're at right now. I was asked to be a replacement player in 1994, which I was quick to, to say no to um, for many, many reasons, including my physical health. But nonetheless, um, at least they haven't gone down that road again. But I wouldn't be surprised if they tried it. I mean, these guys obviously uh. don't care much about the yeah, don't care much about the product on the field. Like, they only care about their bottom line. Yeah, I think that's becoming clearer and clearer to a lot of people. Um, so in your mind, what are some of the key similarities and, and differences between what happened back then and what's going on now? Well, similarities, they still want a salary cap by any other name called a luxury tax, you know, CBT, collective what, competitive balance tax thresholds, yeah. all that stuff. They want a salary cap. And I'm salary caps are, not, are meaningless. They, they're, they're a way for, for owners to line their pockets. Um, each business should have the opportunity to spend what they want to spend on their employees. That's salary caps are heinous. Nonetheless, they want to put one in just so they can bank. The small markets can bank as much money as the, as the big markets. Um, there are ways to do revenue sharing. I wrote about it today. There are ways to do revenue sharing that don't have to cripple the big market teams. Who's going to cripple the Dodgers? Let's be honest. Share local broadcast revenue like they share national broadcast revenue. We wouldn't have this discussion. Uh, but again, the players want, this is what was uh, the difference is the key difference is the players are now the guardians of the, the game. The players are the ones that want what's best for the game. They want competitive balance. They want the, every team to be trying to win. I had a chance to sit, to spend some time with Tony Clark over the all-star break. He was here. He spoke to a group of alumni and we asked him, you know, does Rob Manford like baseball? And he said, Rob Manford told me he was a transactional attorney. Um, and that's where it goes. And no, he, as he mentioned, the player's biggest problem is that the owners are not incentivized to win. They make money, $100 million each before they win a game, before they even put a butt in a seat from TV revenue. So uh, until they're incentivized to try to win, why would they? Well, I mean, you, in Rob Manford's mind, the Colorado Rockies are the model franchise. You can put a mediocre to poor product on the field and still be a successful business. That's what he wants all the teams to be. Yeah, 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 that's uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Rockies fans, the the pain that you've been feeling out there is exactly mm -hmm. what yeah. most of these guys want, and and that's yeah. something I've I've said over the years, and people have thought it was like a big defense of the Rockies. I was like, this is actually just way more common than you realize. They're not yeah. the only team doing right. this, and that's why you look across the board, and every year it's the same five teams in the uh -huh. postseason, and then a couple other stragglers that get in. Keep this in mind. Um, the the Rockies do everything right off the field. They do everything right except put a winning team on the field, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the, 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 the rooftop was a stroke of genius. The McGregor Square is going to be hugely successful. They do it all right. Everybody wants to go to watch games at Coors Field, watch a mediocre or sometimes worse than mediocre baseball team play. And that's what every business strives for, right? They don't have to be great to make money. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, that's... 
that's it's very unfortunate yeah. so as i've been discussing this uh on the show here on 20th and blake and stuff I, i've been you know trying to figure out where does this conversation actually start i've always been tempted to go back like let's go back to 2020 but really you know i've seen a lot more people uh reporters and and former players like yourself talking about the last several CBA oh, yes. negotiations Absolutely. And, and, and what's been given away. So in your mind, like where does the groundwork for the, the current animosity and frustration over the rules of the game, where is the root of it? It's, it's rooted in Rob Manford's ascension and Tony Clark's ascension because they came from totally different places. Tony Clark's the first time, it's the first time we've had a former player running the union instead of a lawyer. And again, a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve, a guy who wants what's best for baseball a guy who's not just money-driven. Um, on the other side, the owners had Bud Selig, who was in, in that position. They got rid of him. He, he retired. They put a lawyer in there. They put their answer to Don Fear in there. So now the, that's where the worm turned. That's where things, the perspectives changed. And the guardians of the games are now the people playing it rather than the guys who were supposed to be shepherding it. That's where things turned. And it is 10, 12 years ago that this happened. Yeah. In your mind, how much of this does have to do with 2020 and the way the players and fans kind of demanded a season? Uh, I think it's fans. part of it's an excuse, certainly. The owners had a lot to lose and did lose a lot. They lost $100 million each that year. Um, but it wasn't just in playing salaries. That's obviously not the case. They lost broadcast revenue. They lost sponsorships. They lost a lot during that year. And, and, I, and we all lost money in 2020. And if they came out and said... Hey, 2020 was a bad year for us. Everybody, yeah, it was. Join the club. But to say five years, it's been five hard years, that's not true. Mm. That's a lie. And for Rob Manford to stand up there and smile and practice his golf swing and, and lie like that is not just disingenuous, it's an insult to all of us listening. And it's really going to make it hard for the owners to come back from this in any way, shape, or form unless they're able to guarantee a 162-game season. Yeah. Yeah, that, that leads me right into the next set of questions. And while I do want to dive into some of the particular you know items that are on the table, I think we have to begin with this. And I, I tweeted this out today, and I've said this kind of everywhere I've tried to go, is this is not a negotiation. Oh, no. This is this is a shakedown, yeah. right? So we have to begin by talking about the tactics, because as much as, again, I want to get into CBT and the mm-hmm. arbitration, pre-arbitration bonus mm-hmm. pool and these things, I want your thoughts on that. It's like, yeah, Mark, with all of these issues on the table how do you even begin to sit across the table from someone whose negotiating tactic is do what we say or we're canceling games yeah i mean um they obviously think they hold the hammer they obviously think they got more the players have more to lose than they do um i think the players resolve is probably surprising the owners this again this is a new group dick monfort was technically involved in 94 but he was a very minority partner and he wasn't jerry mcmorris was doing the the Rockies uh, negotiating at the time. So I don't think any of the rest of these owners were, were involved last time this happened. I think they put Dick Monfort in, in front of all this because he has labor union experience having been in the meatpacking business. But I, so I, I don't know if that's a different animal, no pun intended, to <laughs> face than the players. These players have more resolve than you think they'd have. I mean, for Max Scherzer to be the guy up front and be one of the loudest voices tells you that they're not worried about losing Monst- you know, big chunks of their paychecks. They make good money as it is. They're fighting for the younger guys who aren't making that kind of money. And, and they were there once. And the fact that baseball has the lowest minimum salary of all ma- four major sports and, and those types of things factor into the players resolve. I just think the owners are uh, un- un- we're unprepared for that. Um, you mentioned the word shakedown. I think that's, it is kind of that. I mean, I saw De- uh, Zambrowski tweeted the other day, said that the player's last offer was terrible for the players. Yeah. And yet the owners didn't want to take it. So, um, 
it's really hard to fathom how, how far this could go with these owners. Uh, you know, do they want to break the union? Yeah, they do. Certainly every, everybody wants to break every union. Every management wants to break a union. How far they'll go to do that. I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is wild. Since you brought up the, the young players, I, I want to go there. How much of this really is about that? Cause I've had some people, I was on a, uh, with Anilo the other day on uh, Mile High Sports Radio, we we're talking about, you know, what about the, the people that work at the stadiums, right? Yes. And what about the, the all these people that get left out? And But I also think sometimes people don't realize that minor leaguers, unless you've got a big signing bonus, you were one yeah, of those yeah. dudes, you're kind of in that category you're, too. You're probably, if you're a minor leaguer, you're probably doing DoorDash in the evenings during spring training because you're not getting yeah. paid. So you're getting a stipend, which doesn't doesn't cover much. Um, so yeah, I, I think another thing, this is one thing I really, I am really curious about how far they'll let this go because back in 94, as things waned and off season went on, the owners started, most of the clubs started letting people go from their front office. They started letting employees go. The Rockies did not do that. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that endeared the Rockies employees. A lot of them who are still there from that, those days have endeared them to this management. Dick Marford treats his employees very, very well, not his players so much, but his employees, front office people, right? Yeah. Obviously, we've seen that no one gets fired. Uh, so when he gets to the point where he's not getting any income from from uh, you know, anything, you know, the rooftop's not doing anything. None of these are doing anything for him. Um, what's he going to do? I, I'm really curious to see what happens with that because when he had, if he has to start laying off ticket takers at the at the window, you know, window ticket takers, those types of folks, not just the ancillary people around the ballpark that make their living around the ballpark, he's not in charge of them, but they are dependent upon his product. Yeah. The, there are people directly get paychecks from the, from the Colorado Rockies who don't play on the field. They're going to start feeling this pinch at some point. Yeah. And then what does yeah. he do? Because that, that flies in the face of everything the Monforts are about. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think that that's why, you know, and, and I've said it several times, I applauded the players for standing up and walking away, even though I know that there are a lot of people that are going to be hurt by it. I made the analogy to like, you know, several different crime dramas you've seen where the bad guy is torturing a third party to tell you, you know, give me the information, give me the yeah. information. And the players are, are saying, you know, essentially we don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. And then the bad guy is hurting the fans and yeah. the auxiliary workers and the yeah. community. Yeah. And they're looking at the players going, why don't you just give them the information they want? So we stop hurting and the players <laughs> are going, that's not yeah. It's not going to make it better because nope. if you keep giving in to the bully over and over and over again, at some point we all pay. Well, much I, less, I heard right? a great, I heard a great analogy on the radio yesterday where I said, okay, owners, if you say, well, if the players accept less, they will lower ticket prices. Nah, that's not going to happen. No. That's yeah. not going to happen. They're not going to lower their prices because they're paying less in salaries. They're just going to pocket that. Right. And, and so th this whole nonsense that the players take up, from you know, are taking money out of the fans' pockets, nonsense. Um, it's just a matter of, I don't know. Drew, this could honestly end up in court. It did in 1995. It ended up in yeah. court, and it could end up there again. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's really sad. Let's let's mm -hmm. talk about a couple of the specific issues okay. just so people can learn about them. Let's do the pre-arbitration bonus pool. Um, okay. I think this is one of those things to me that's so ironic because I think the fact that the owners have agreed to this in general principle means that they show that they're recognizing the problem exists yeah, right they're just only willing to do laughably little next to nothing right. about it right right exactly um i'll take it back i'll take it a little back a little further than that albert pujols when he was 30 years old signed a mega contract right yeah. and as good as albert pools is a first ballot hall of famer blah, blah blah he never lived up to that contract 
as a, as a member of the Angels. Is that fair? Right. right. Never his his numbers never matched up. The owners got found, were found guilty of collusion back in mid mid 80s for trying to do hold down salaries artificially. Uh, now with the Albert Pool situation and others like him, they have data that says, listen, we can show data that these guys do not produce after age 30. So we're done giving out mega contracts to people past their prime. And that's not something the players can argue with. The players have, yeah, you're right. The data is what the data is. We're not going to start, we're not going to pay guys in arrears, essentially. You know, we're not going to pay them for what they used to do anymore. Fair. So the players turn around and say, well, then let's pay Fernando Tatis Jr. what he's worth when he's worth that money, which is prior to being arbitration eligible, prior to being free agent eligible. Right. And they want to say, we don't want to do that either. There's the problem. They, they yes. don't want to pay be, when you're worth it. They don't want to pay you after the fact. They don't say, we'll earn it and then we'll give it to you. They don't want to do any of that. They want, they want and they want to hold down service time so you're not eligible for arbitration. I think they're, the more, and I'm, I'm trying to learn about analytics. I'm trying to be accepting of, of a lot of analytics because it's information that's valuable, right? But there's now looking at players like replaceable commodities. Oh, get three years out of this guy, then we'll get somebody else. We'll let him throw hundred miles an hour for three years and we'll kick him to the curb. So we never have to pay him that big contract. Right. And that's how their owners are looking at things right now. Like they look at a commodity and somebody that worked in their warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've been saying for years and uh, again, people have tried to couch it and it's like, well, you're just jealous of like what the A's and race have managed to accomplish. I'm like, to some degree, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. As someone yeah. who likes to watch competitive baseball. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, they are the poster children for, like you're a cog in a machine and the very second you, you become more expensive, expensive. than your perceived worth, you're out of there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it, it's like, that is a hell of a way to run a business. It, it is. It is. Especially if you're a fan who wants to get attached to a player. Yes. And the name yeah. on the back of the uniform. If you're a fan yeah. who likes the name on the front of the uniform, you're okay with that because the team keeps winning. The Rays and A's keep winning. And the guys who necessarily leave there, the Blake Snells who, who get jettisoned because they're worth too much money they land on their feet. They do okay. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't feel bad for them. We got, you know, there's lots of guys, lots of success stories from guys who played for those teams, went on and did better things elsewhere. So, not that doesn't necessarily bother me. And, and yeah, I, I think the Rockies should look at being a model like the A's. I don't. If, if you don't want to pay Nolan Arenado for all those years, okay, find somebody that's going to play that well for three or four years. Move him before he becomes a free agent. Okay. Cause I'm more about the name on the front, but I sympathize with fans who want to get attached to players and want, and, and the name on the back means something because in certain franchises that is not going to be how it works. Yeah. I mean, those teams don't have any fans, despite the fact that very, very <laughs> good point. That is a very good point. Low two of the lowest attended teams in baseball. You're right. Even yeah. though they're winning. Right. So uh, you made earlier your, your feelings on the CBT very clear. So mm -hmm. I'll ask you this question. What is more important at this point that the, the CBT thresholds get moved closer to what the players are asking or just that they get moved at all? Because the owners have drawn a hard line here on this, despite the fact that it's been negotiated before. And do you think that the players could maybe accept some kind of win just by making a move a yeah, and, and they and they have offered that. The players have offered. They've come way down on what they've asked for. Right, right. Um, they want to get rid of it because they see it as a salary cap, and I get that. Right. I'm one who happens to believe revenue sharing is something of value. I do think you need revenue sharing. I mentioned before, I think if you share local broadcast revenues, my, what I wrote today was share it between the two teams that are playing that night. Like they share gate receipts elsewhere. Share, say the Royals and the Yankees are playing, 
It takes two teams to play a baseball game. So why not have the, the, the TV revenue to generate from both sides that night, shared 60-40 split or whatever between the two teams? That gives the Royals the benefit of having played on the Yes Network financially. And, and you know, Yankees don't make quite as much in that game, but they do make some back from the Royals TV deal. So I think there's a way these people are smart. They can come up with a formula that would make that work. Now revenue share is done. Now you don't have to worry about a CBT at all. You don't need that anymore because now you have um, a level playing field like you have in the NFL, for instance. I mean, the salary cap in the NFL is a scam. It just is. They share all their revenue. The Green Bay Packers make as much money as the New York Giants, if not more. They don't need a salary cap to keep competitive balance. And another thing to remember about competitive balance in baseball, there's not very many sports that have more have had more parity than baseball in terms of who's been champions, right? You don't have you may have a lot of the same teams in the playoffs, but you have different champions all the time. This is a league where Kansas City can win the 2015 World Series. Giants have won a lot. The Dodgers, without with their high payroll, have won one time in 30 years. Right. The Yankees haven't won since 2000, what, 2010? Right. Something like that. So high payrolls don't guarantee success. Uh, I think it's more important, obviously, how you spend your money than how much money you spend. I think there's a way for, for a team like the Rockies to use some of Tampa Bay's philosophy, expand on it, because you have more, more assets than Tampa has. You have a better stadium. You have better fans. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean – not disparaging the people in Florida, but we have all these transplants that come out and fill up Coors Field, regardless of who the visiting team is, right? The Rockies could do a mixture of those of that philosophy and be very successful if they did it right. Yeah. Yeah, that would be very interesting to see. Well, Marco, I want to finish out with some of the on the field stuff because you know you and i are it's funny right and maybe the the worst thing not at all is this is not the this is the 278th worst thing but is that we love talking baseball yeah and when stuff like this happens and we have to start talking about whatever a cbt is and start explaining percentages and arguing about taxes and like oh man this is not what anyone gets into the sport of baseball to do right right so let's talk about some of these things, because I actually think this is the stuff where there's probably the most agreement between players and owners and, and wiggle room here is things like, let's say the universal DH. I think that's something that probably most people want more jobs for the players. It's it. So, yeah, your thoughts on the universal DH. I'm not a fan of the DH period. I never was, but um, I do understand why people want to see it. I do. I do think it's good for baseball at every level to use the same rules. I kind of like what we do in high school. Yeah. In high school, we have three options now. We can um, we can have the hitter, the pitcher hit, which most pitchers are your better players, so you're going to have that. You can have what they call now a player DH, which means I can have my starting pitcher listed as the pitcher slash DH. And if I take him off the mound, I can leave him in the game as a hitter. And I can do that for any, any position. Or you can go straight DH where you're hitting for somebody. So, But it would be nice, I think, obviously, for fans of baseball, if the same rules were used universally, I get all that. It doesn't mean because I'm an old fuddy-duddy who doesn't like the DH. I like to see the strategy involved. I like the double switches. I like all that stuff. Um, but if it, if it makes the game better across the board, I'm okay with it. I think the owners only want it because I think it'll sell more tickets. And the owners yeah. don't care about the game itself. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. It is one of those things. It's like, yeah, yeah, but I, I, I agree. And I'm with what you. Th- what do you think I'll, about I'm the player? What do you think about the – I mean, Shotei Otani would be a good example of a player DH, right? If you start him right. on the mound, you want to leave him in the game as a DH, right? I love that. And people have yeah. floated a lot of things over the years, too, of like you can do a certain number of switches or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but I like that idea. I, I like the way – I didn't know that's how it was done in high school, right? Yep. Now, so I like so that do, a lot. No, I do, too. I, it, yeah. It's worked out very well for us. <laughs> I'm good there with you that. Go. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I like the managering of it. Yes. 
Yeah. And, but instead of that, and it, yeah. not, not the managers will be obsolete by now, now by any, any, any measure, they still have to make all those pitching changes, right? Every three sure. innings, you got to get a new pitcher in there. Yes. I mean, who'd have thought that the Rockies piggybacking thing was ahead of their time. Totally. But they are now. Yeah. But, so um, we'll see how that goes, but now I'm, it's good to, Hey, at least they agreed on something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of managing the game, here are some other things that have been coming up a lot lately. Uh, banning the shift, or at least in some form. Where do you stand on that? Well, I know Michael Hill uh, with Major League Baseball wants to make uh, two guys on both sides of the infield. Doesn't mean you can't move guys around, but two guys on right. both sides. Of the infield. I think I'm in favor of that. I, now, listen, we all know that Tony Gwynn would have never had a problem. He would hit 600 if they shifted on him. Right? Sure. Uh, and I, I think it's, it says something not favorable about hitters that they can't adjust and can't hit the ball the other way. Uh, or, and then the ironic thing to me is Moneyball was predicated on getting on base. The on base percent that was a big thing for Moneyball, right? Getting on yeah, base, right? And yet, they nowadays the the analytics nerds look down at somebody who bunts for a base hit to lead off an inning right. against the shift right. to get on base. Right. right. So I, I don't know where that all stands. I, I I've talked to a lot of my friends who think in base who think the worm will turn, it'll come back around, and maybe by instituting that two guys are on each side of the infield all the time, we'll we'll start to do that. I don't know. We'll yeah, I, it's something I've come around on. And I remember the exact moment because this is at the All-Star game, this most recent one. And it was like in the first inning, both Shohei Otani and uh, I think Vladdy Jr. Mm-hmm. had like absolute rockets that in your time and almost any other time would have been at least base hits. Yeah. You know, and one of them was caught by the second baseman who was standing in mm-hmm. short Shallow right, right field. Yeah. Yeah. And, one of them was right back up the middle, caught by the shortstop mm-hmm. who was standing in. Yeah, we 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 teach our hitters at the high school level to hit the ball back up the middle. Can't right. do that in baseball anymore. Nope. If the pitcher nope. doesn't get it, somebody else is going to. And that's the one that actually I've talked to Charlie Blackman about this, and he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, I know." But I said the one that that kills me the most isn't that guys can't hit the ball the other way, like completely into the the big hole that the shift right. creates. It's that line drive right back up the middle mm-hmm. that's now straight at a guy. That, that's not going to change if they even if they lock two guys on both sides of the infield, you'll still have a guy one step to the left of second or the right of second base. They still but, have to make a play though. You know right. what I mean? Make, yeah. make the guy move his feet a little uh, bit. There you go. I'm for that. Yeah. Um, but again, but, does it sell tickets? Yeah. That's what it's all about. Does it sell right. tickets? That's what'll happen. Well, and this is again one of those things where I I would hope that the sell tickets and make the game better would actually be the same. Uh, most of the time, it actually is. The owners yeah. see them as different, and they're not. But this yeah. is one of those times where it's like, who doesn't love a shortstop diving for a ball up the middle yeah. rather than just be standing there? Yeah. It's you know, yeah. Who doesn't like to see Nolan Arenado play shortstop in in, in the shift? Right, make a great play. Yeah. Everybody likes to see that. But right. yeah, we'll see. Uh, so the pitch clock. Mm-hmm. Where are you at on that? Uh, it's kind of pointless. Uh, I know the guy who runs it at Coors Field, and he thinks it's pointless. Um, <laughs> it's his job, and he thinks it's pointless. I, um, you can't do things like limit throws to first. And, and do, you, you know, if they called the strike zone like they should call the strike zone, the games wouldn't take so long, right? right. And pitchers wouldn't get hurt so much because they wouldn't throw as many pitches. Right. You and I both played the slow-pitch softball games. It can take an hour to play seven innings because guys right. go up and swing the bat. If hitters went up there and they were trained to swing the bat and not take the ball a quarter inch off, off the plate as a ball, you'd see baseball sped up. So um, I'm all for increased action. I'm all not necessarily offense. Cause every time you swing the bat, it's action, not necessarily offense. Uh, I'm all for increased action. I, I just, it's just and, and, one, and Rob Manford's stupidest idea among many, the stupidest idea was to shrink the strike zone. That would have been the, the dumbest thing that ever happened to baseball. Well, that'll yeah. cut down on strikeouts. No, it won't cut down on strikeouts. It'll, it'll add to walks. 
by yeah. a lot. And no one has ever bought a ticket to a major league baseball game to watch somebody walk. Right. So if we, if we had more action, more the bat being swung more often with an expand with an even expanded strike zone, we'd have faster games. Now, having said that one thing, Tony Clark pointed out to us when he was here over the all-star break was that if you think back to it, from that point forward, from the time in June, whatever it was of last year, that you stopped, you stopped hearing about that from Major League Baseball. You stopped hearing baseball say, we need to speed up games. We need more action. We need to pace of play. You know why? Because the, the sports betting industry doesn't want faster games. The sports betting industry, which is flooding a lot of money into baseball, oh, likes longer games, sure. more things to bet on, more things to wager on. So the longer games for Vegas is better than the shorter game. Yeah, so the whole pitch clock thing is just totally redundant the rule already exists yeah. just have the umpires yeah. <laughs> enforce it but how many rules can you say that about a lot right right just the strike zone being one of those totally uh all right so now and, and it's almost going to start to become like a seinfeld bit here in a minute so what's yeah. the deal with bigger bases if i were in your audience when you brought that question up i would go i don't know what's the deal with i don't know drew i have no answer to that question i i've been befuddled since i heard about it what is the idea what is the benefit of bigger bases yeah the only thing i can find and again you know source twitter <laughs> so you know but is that one the idea is that they could cut down on injuries from guys sliding into each other spiking each other around Are the they're gonna make well let's make them into pillows then they can just land in the pillows i think the fielder should have to embrace you cradle cradle your head if you slide <laughs> in head first you know uh, uh, i don't know makes no sense then, the thing that I'm most intrigued by is, I guess, if you made the bases bigger, they'd be slightly closer to so you, each other and guys would yeah. steal more. I don't know. Against the advice of all the analytic guys who say, don't try to steal. Ever. Don't bunt, don't steal. Just swing for the right. fence. Yeah. Um, I, none of that makes any sense. I guess they have their laboratory down in the Atlantic League where they'll try out these stupid ideas like stealing first base, which is the stupidest idea of all time. But, yes. well, that and the shrinking the strike zone, which is Rob Manfred's other really dumbass idea uh which will just increase walks slow down pace of play all those types of things because he doesn't know anything about baseball uh anyway um no i don't get the bigger bases thing i don't get most of these things that they think will improve the game which doesn't need improving if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah and the big final one lots of moving pieces to this lots of elements about it but expanding the postseason it sounds to me like that's a big sticking point with the, with the, um, in the negotiations because the owners realize that's their pot of gold. They make most of their money in the postseason. That's where the money is. They want more of that. They don't care that the idea of putting half the teams in the league or almost half the teams in, in baseball in the postseason is ludicrous. It de-incentivizes people from trying to win games. You can be 82 and 80 or whatever. Who knows? 80 and 82 and make the postseason and it waters down the postseason. It makes it Meanless, the players don't get paid during the postseason. That's one of the reasons they don't want to do it. But mostly they want teams to be incentivized to try to win championships. And if your mere incentive is to try to make the playoffs, sorry about that. If your incentive is merely to try to make the playoffs, then you know, just barely squeak into the playoffs, then you're not doing what the fans are, are paying to see. Um, I, I do hope that this is one of the few places where there's a, a happy medium to find here. Cause I, I agree. 14 is ludicrous. Yeah. 12 is probably still too many, but right. I'd be in favor of, you know, shortening the regular season a little bit and having some sort of, you know, and, and I also don't want like 
you know, the eight seed versus the one seed, like they have in other sports or whatever. Right. I want okay. those teams that have earned it. So if you had over 162 sort of games, yeah, exactly. Right. Or maybe a play, a, a play in tournament kind of thing. Exactly. I think yeah. something like that would be a really I, good idea. As long as to the, incentivize teams, long, not half the teams selling at the deadline and trying to lose on right. purpose. Right. Uh, as long as the players are being compensated for that i think they would the idea of a play in tournament and a short and regular season so you're not adding games but you're still getting paid for those games i could see them i could see a compromise along those lines i could see you say oh let's go back to 144 games like the minor leagues play and then we play this this tournament okay i could see all that um again you can't add the length of the season because you're not going to be playing at christmas time right and so that's not (laughs) going to work you're already playing in november um, the players have to be compensated equally for, for what they're doing. The owners see all this money ESPN's waving at them, Fox is waving at them to play more playoff games, and they want to jump at that because, again, they don't understand the wear and tear on the players. They don't understand the, the, the fact that you're running into football season. They don't understand any, don't care about any of that kind of stuff. They just see those dollar signs. So is there a way to, to do it in a different way? Baseball's historically, at least until Bud Selig was, was a commissioner, historically was against any kind of change. No, we can't yeah. change anything. Bud was the one who brought in the wild card. Bud was the one that, that brought in some of these other different approaches to things. As long as someone gets creative who has the best interest of the game at heart and not just the bottom line, then I think, you know, you know who would have been a good commissioner for Major League Baseball? Pat Bolin. Pat Bolin. Oh, yeah. Sure. Win first, profit later. That was Pat Bolin's philosophy as we lived through it here in, in Bronco, Broncos yeah. country. And look what it did for him. I had a lot of people tell me Kelly McGregor. Yeah. Would have been great at, at something. Kelly, like Kelly would have, well, Kelly could have done a number of things had he not been taken from us way too early. But yeah, he was a special person. And um, yeah, the Rockies certainly have suffered since his loss. But um, yeah, I could have seen that. Kelly was, a, was thirsty to learn about baseball. I can promise you that. He, you know, he and I went to college together. He was very interested in learning about the game of baseball and growing the game of baseball here in Colorado. Uh, spent time on the phone with guys like Jack McKeon every day to try to learn more about the game. He would have been fantastic. Do you think there's a chance that this fiasco leads to the end of the Rob Manfred era? No, I just like it never. And we heard uh, the same thing. We heard the same thing when Roger Goodell what was. I want to hear. <laughs> we, we heard the same thing with Roger Goodell, right? Roger yeah. Rob Manfred works for the owners. He's their lawyer. He's doing what they ask him to do. So they're not going to blame him for anything that goes wrong. He's the face. Yeah, he's the mouthpiece, but he's not the guy making these decisions. He's he's an employee, a well compensated yeah. employee. So why would they get rid of him if they like what he's doing? There, he's following their marching orders. They're not going to change yeah. that. Why would they? You would, yeah. you and I would love to see a Bart Giamatti, uh, you know, type in this role, right? I right. We would all love to see that. That would be fantastic. The owner, the players were totally in favor of Bart Giamatti. The owners want an owner in that in that place. So they're he's, he's their representative. That's who they want. Yeah, brutal, Bummer, huh? That? Yeah, Bummer, it huh? really is. And I, I think that's the last thing. And I and I've said it before, but it's worth reminding people again that that's why that's. What the players are fighting for, because I think a lot of people are viewing this as like the players are fighting for themselves and the owners are fighting for themselves. But like, well, you've got half of that, right? The, <laughs> the owners are fighting for themselves. And of course, the players have plenty to be gained out of a fairer system, but the players are fighting for themselves, for the fans, for the health of the game, for a better fairer sport where you don't have half the teams trying to lose yeah. on purpose and, yep. and banking money and, and all mm-hmm. of these ridiculous things going yep. on. Absolutely. True. That's absolutely true. And I, I think if people look at it that way, if they understand that ticket prices aren't going to get lowered, if the players are getting less, 
That's not right. ever going to happen. If there's a salary cap, that doesn't mean you have lower ticket prices. You know, so I hope, I think I, my feeling and the vibe I get anyway, is that most of the people out there are understanding the situation better than they did in 1994, 95, understand that what the owners are to blame for this lockout and, and what they've done. And I think they've, the owners are losing the PR battle and hopefully that leads to them settling this thing. Yeah. Well, we can hope that there's a, a sunny day at the end of this somewhere and that yep. the next time we get together, we're talking about some actual baseball. I'd love that. I would love that because right now all I got is my high school team. Let's We're going to practice today. Hey, I'm going to be out there covering them. If I've cool. got, I don't cool. know what I'm going to cover, so I'll have to show up, see what you got. Hey, we got, we're going to have three really solid minor league, independent league minor league franchises in Colorado. You know, the new, one de- new one debuts up in Windsor. I met that owner. He's he's a forward-thinking guy. He's, he's the kind go. of owner fans would should like. I've got some road trips ahead of me. There you go. These you guys sure can't get their shit together. <laughs> so, all right. Take care, Thanks, Drew. Mark. Thanks, Appreciate man. you. All right. I want to thank Mark again for coming on the show. Uh, like I said there at the end, I'm sure we'll have a chance to catch up with him again and talk some actual baseball. He's always great to talk pitching with, a great resource. And uh, you can find a lot of his stuff, including uh, his blog where he does the Three Strikes blog and he covers three topics uh, really across sports here on milehighsports.com. A lot of great stuff in there. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, catching all of his stuff if, if you want some of his insights and uh, all of that. G- great guy. I love Mark. So really appreciate him taking the time. Hey, I'm going to wrap this one up since we've been here for a minute, but I'm going to keep on these conversations and also keep diving back into the Colorado Rockies. I plan to have Dan Zimborski, who got a shout out, uh, oddly enough, from Mark there. During our conversation, we're going to have Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs on here before too long, and we're mostly going to talk about baseball, but I think we're probably also going to sneak some video game talk in there because we're gigantic nerds, but we're going to keep getting into this stuff, have more perspectives. You know, I don't think I'm going to have anybody on who's got the owner's perspective here, and that's just because there really aren't any reasonable people who are siding with the owners right now. There just aren't, but I'll keep bringing people on. So we can get multiple points of view and and get deeper into this so that we all feel like we understand it better uh, alongside our our continuing conversations about where the Rockies are and what they're doing. All right. So thank you so much for listening into this episode. You all know that you've been absolutely awesome out there. I can only promise to keep being absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.